So I was gone this last weekend, for those who actually care or actually notice. Some of you um, did notice. Uh, if you actually paid attention to at least my or my wife's Instagram account, we were on our first year anniversary trip. It was wonderful. Thank you, gentlemen up front. That's a sweet awe you gave me. Well, to prove to you that we took this wonderful anniversary trip, I actually have some pictures of what we actually did. So the first picture coming up, is a picture of, we just had to do a little off-roading. This is near Bishop, California, on the way up to Mammoth in the high desert. We just couldn't stop but just take a picture of that beautiful creation of God. And then further up towards Mammoth, we just said, there's tons of lakes up there. And so we decided to stop. This one is called Convict Lake, which is about 15 minutes from Mammoth. And there's actually an interesting story about Convict Lake, which I just won't share now. You have to research it. It's called Google. But then the next picture is going to be another lake. This is June Lake, which is about 15 minutes north of Mammoth, where we relaxed, skipped stones. Um, it was really windy, so I couldn't just jump in the water. It would be really, really, really cold afterwards. So then afterwards, we did some hiking. So that is us at the Devil's Post Pile, which is really cool and unique. I highly recommend going. It's a really unique lava formation, where the lava rolled in you know, millions and millions and millions of years ago. And... But the, the lava created this interesting formation where each of those rocks are actually hexagon, which is kind of crazy and unique. So down the trail is another thing called Rainbow Falls, which is a cool, beautiful waterfall. And to prove that that is not from the internet, here's a picture of us there. Boom, there we are photoshopped in. So in order to get to Mammoth from our house, well, in our apartment, from Ladera Ranch, it takes about six hours to drive. And it takes, it's about 344, uh, 345 miles from our house in the dare, so kind of roughly the same as here. And as you can tell, it's pretty, a pretty straightforward shot. There, it, it doesn't look pretty detailed-oriented. However, on that map, especially in the beginning and then the end, if you're going the other, other way around, there's about six or seven freeway changes. Even though there's a couple changes on the 15, you somehow are still on the 15 freeway, I still consider those changes. So let me kind of walk you through some of the changes that we, I had to go through as a driver. So here I am, I'm driving my beautiful bride, we're on our one-year anniversary, I have to drive six hours safely north, but I have to be very focused on the directions at hand, because if you live in Ladera Ranch, we're like, we're paying the toll road. I don't want to deal with going back to the freeway and coming up. So we took the 241. So you take the 241, but some of you know, if you go up to Big Bear or Lake Arrowhead or somewhere else, you have to be in the right two lanes to get to the 91 East. Thankfully, God looked down upon us and there's no traffic on the 91 East, which is a godsend, praise the Lord. So you get on the 91 East for several miles and several minutes, but then you have to remember to get on the 15. And the 15 is on the left side of the freeway, which I'm at. It's on the right side of the freeway. So I have to get over, get on the right side of the freeway. And then they go to the 15. You merge again with the 15 again. I think do that one more time with the 15. 15 is quite popular. But once you, once you get further north, you have to exit at the right time to get on the 395. And the 395 is that straight portion most of the way up to Mammoth. However, there was road construction, so I had to really focus and be paying attention because Google Maps was taking me a different direction than I normally would take. So I had to take a, a, a different exit, take a different route to merge back onto the 14, which you'll find out eventually once you drive up the Mammoth yourself, merges with the 395, and then off the 395, you take another exit to the, I think the 203 
onto Mammoth, and then again, I had to follow the right directions back, and right, a couple lefts, a right, and we arrived at our beautiful cabin that we stayed at. Shout out to the Laster family. Thank you for letting us stay there. I say all those directions for this purpose. I had to, as the driver, be very determined to focus on the task at hand, to follow directions on that map, to make sure I just don't drift away. Because if I'm listening to the music that we're playing, we're jamming out, or if we're listening to the audio uh, book that we're, we were listening to and just getting so enamored by the story, if I just get distracted by the beautiful Sierra Mountains on, you know, on our left-hand side, if I'm just distracted by this biggest distraction, her... I mean, her blue eyes, her smile, and her red hair is the biggest distraction for me as the driver. So if I am not determined to focus on those directions, she, I'm just kidding, I'm blaming her, but I will be distracted by her and the other things, and I will take the wrong exit, or I might miss the exit, and if you go back to that map, that straight line easy shot no longer looks very easy. You have to take a detour about you know, a few miles this way, and then back a few miles this way, or like, oh, make a wrong exit, especially if you miss the 395, you have to backtrack quite a ways in order to get back to the 395 and then drive 200 miles back up north to get to the right place. So I was in danger of losing my focus to get to our destination. In our Christian walk, it's the same thing. If you are not determined to focus, to keep your focus on God, you'll just slowly drift away. And either you'll be humbled by God or you'll be consumed by the world. Your focus is about to be challenged. Every one of you in this room, well, most of you in this room, not, not all your leaders, some of your leaders, including myself, are going back to school. I'm actually in school right now. School can drive our focus away. Do we want to do well in school? Absolutely, yes. I'm not saying don't do well in school. What I'm saying is this is now a season of your life. The summer is about to end, and now school is about to come upon you, and you're in danger of losing your focus on what you need to keep focused on, which is God. So True North, daily resolve. Daily resolve to keep your focus on God and the true purpose of your deliverance, which is to praise Him. So let's look at Psalm 30 together. So please pull up your Bibles, um, preferably your Bibles. If you have to have it on your phone, we go ahead. But pull up to your Bible to uh, Psalm 30, and we're going to see what David does to keep focus on God. So don't go to verse 1 necessarily. Go to that printed lettering, those words up on top. It says, a psalm of David, a song at the dedication of the temple. So now if you know your Bibles well enough, you will know that David did not build the temple. God said, I do not want you to build the temple because of your past. I want your son Solomon to build the temple. So David instead, what does he do in 1 Chronicles 22 through 29? He prepares the temple for his son Solomon. He organizes everything. He organizes all the priests, all the Levites. He organizes Israel. He organizes the army. And he organizes all the materials, the wood, the stone, the precious stones that are needed to build the temple for his son. So when was this when did this happen? It could have been when David dedicated all the materials to the temple, or it could have happened, could have written it down, and his son Solomon could have said it. But the point is, is that it was towards the end of David's life. So as you're reading this, I want you to think about, to this point now, look back, like David does, look back. So now follow along, <clears throat> excuse me, in verse 1. I will extol you, O Yahweh, 
for you have drawn me up and not, have not let my foes rejoice over me. O Yahweh, my God, I cried to you for help, and you have hurt, healed me. O Yahweh, you have brought up my soul from Sheol. You restored me to life from among the pit, those who go down to the pit. Sing praises to Yahweh, O you, you, o you his saints, and give thanks to his holy name. For his anger is but for a moment, and his favor is for a lifetime. Weeping may tarry for the night, but joy comes with the morning. As for me, I said in my prosperity, I shall never be moved. But you, by your favor, O Yahweh, you made my mountain stand strong. You hid your face. I was dismayed. To you, O Yahweh, I cry, and to the Lord I plead mercy. What profit is there in my death if I go down to the pit? Will the dust praise you? Will it tell of your faithfulness? Hear, O Yahweh, and be merciful to me. O Yahweh, be my helper. You have turned for me my mourning into dancing. You have loosened my sackcloth and clothed me with gladness, that my glory may sing your praise and not be silent. O Yahweh, my God, I will give thanks to you forever. What a beautiful song of praise for, from David, talking about how he stayed focused. So go back to verse one. Let's break it down just a little bit. Again, like I said, it's at the dedication of the temple. Now I want you, True North, to think about your life right now at freshman, sophomore, junior, senior, even the leaders in the room. Think about how, how in the past God has delivered you. This is a, uh, the first three verses is David looking back at a lifetime of deliverance from God. In verse 1, he talks about how his enemies were able to conquer him because of God. God delivered David from his enemies. Now, what's beautiful about the Psalms is that we don't sometimes know what David is talking about, but it's also able to help us connect with the Scripture easier. Now, who is this enemy? It could have been Goliath. It could have been uh, his son Absalom. It could have been King Saul when he was running away from him. It could have been the, any of the battles with the Philistines that David is talking about. But regardless, David is remembering at the end of his life a time that God delivered him from his enemy. But in the second verse, David also recalls another time where he was healed. He cried out to God and he was healed. Healed from what? We don't know. Was, a, was it a physical illness? Was it some anxiety? Was it a depression? Was it um, anything else that he was being hurt by, but he cried out to God, and God was able to heal him. Now, the third verse talks about how he's being restored to life. Again, another unknown. Was he almost dying? Would God restore him back to life? Or was it because he almost lost his throne with his son, and God restored him back to the throne? Regardless of what it is, David's trying to help us to do something, to go back and remember the deliverances, the victories, and the things that God has given us. Maybe the things that God is able to give you, the victories, maybe it was a good grade of the test that you were studying, stressing out last year in school. Maybe it was having an awesome summer, maybe catching the best waves this summer. Maybe it was winning the games at Revival. Maybe it was winning Revival was the greatest victory that I will never know because I always get happy place. Thankfully, I was games crew, so I won. Whatever the victory was, remember, that is from God. And what David talks about being healed, imagine the times you were healed when you were sick, but then, then, then you got better. When you were crushed over a, a breakup, but then you have moved on. When you, have, when you suffer from your anxiety or depressing thoughts, and now you're no longer there, think about how many times you've been healed. And then many times you've been restored, restored back, maybe having a grade restored because you did some extra credit, or maybe because the teacher did something wrong and your grade was from a C note back to a B or an A. 
And so what David does for, says, what David says for us to do and what we should tell others to do is that we need to see the deliverance and tell others to praise God with us. And then verse 5, David talking about the anger of God and how it is real, but the reality, it's for a moment. And that God's favor is for a lifetime. And then David shares another truth that weeping may tarry or last the night, but David remembers this truth, that joy comes in the morning. That could be now in this life, or ultimately the joy that comes when Christ comes back. So think about this. School is about to start. You're, about, you're probably weeping right now. But again, for the seniors in this room, you're already thinking, school's about to start. Just a few months, I'll be done with high school forever. So that is some joy that you can sing about. So David recalls a lifetime of deliverance and directs others to do so in praise. So true north, point number one, daily remember God's faithfulness. Daily remember God's faithfulness. Something that I remember constantly daily is how God fulfills his promise in Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6 talks about if you seek first the kingdom of God, I will provide everything that you need. The clothing, the food, the money you need to survive, I will provide it if you seek me first. So for those who don't know, I was just hired at Compass just a couple months ago. Before this, I was working for the Fellowship of Christian Athletes. And as a result of that, I had to raise my own support. I had to go to people like your parents or other business owners and ask them, say, hey, will you support me as a missionary? Now, what's really cool is that my parents were able to support me as well. What I didn't know is that because of how their business works is that they said, whatever extra we make, we, are gonna, we, we prayed about it, we asked God, and we decided we'll give this extra to Evan if, you know, we'll just give, to, we'll just give it to him. I had no idea. I was just on my merry way just raising support. To add further context to the story is that before I got hired with FCA, I was an accountant, actually the same company with Sarah Bedrovic. Um, but I, moved out, I just moved out of my parents, so I'm paying rent on my own. I'm diligently, thankfully saving money for a trip. What I didn't know is that God had a different plan. I got laid off from that job. So all of a sudden, I'm, I had to pay rent when my rent share was about, I had to fork up at least $1,000 a month for rent. So I was like, all right, God, I'm going to trust in you. You will provide. Thankfully, I met an awesome gentleman named Brendan Porter. He, uh, I interviewed and he hired me with FCA. So here I am. I got enough savings to last several months so I can focus on fundraising so I can see people saved. So thankfully, it's going along. Money is accumulating. People are just being so generous. But I, with FCA, you have to raise a certain amount in order to be paid. So I'm getting closer and closer and closer, and my savings is slowly dwindling, dwindling, dwindling. And here I am looking at it, like, no, if the math ends up correctly, in August, my savings will be gone, but I'll be paid. So I can still pay rent. Like, God, you are so good. So then I, I, I find I was like, there's only a couple uh, monthly support donors short. I got those donors. My boss and I got excited. We put in our paperwork to FCA saying, Evan can now be paid. And the email back saying, you were three days too short. You have to wait till September. And I'm sitting, there, I'm sitting there going, how do I find $1,000? I had no idea when I decided, oh, God, I will still trust in you. You promised this. I don't know how you're going to do it. It wasn't my plan, but you have a plan. We trust you. Well, it turns out when I called my parents to say, hey, I need some help, they said, this is actually ironic, Evan, because we already decided that any extra that we make, we're going to donate to you. So we were going to do that today. But instead of doing that to your FCA account, we'll just do, uh, put it into your checking so you can pay your rent. Don't worry about it. I mean, 
my mind is blown. Because I saw God live out Matthew 6. He said, if you seek me first, I will provide. Maybe not in the ways that I wanted, but he decided to provide anyway, thankfully, through my parents, through their decision and prayerful decision. So, True North, you need to re- daily remember what has God done in your life? Christian or non-Christian, he's done something in your life. You are sitting in here today. You are still alive. God has given you life. He's given you food so you don't starve. He's given you school so you can educate yourself, so that you can learn and get a job, so that you can survive in this world. He's given you talents and skills if it's athletic ability, if it's ability to sing, his ability to memorize lines, if it's a gift of academics, if it's a gift of being able to uh, surf. It's photography. I've seen your Instagram accounts. It's amazing what you can do with the camera or some of the videos that you guys have made. He's given you these talents. One of you actually handmade a Spider-Man suit. By hand. I'm quite amazed at that, but he's given you guys talents and skills for his glory, but also so that you can be able to have a job and survive. This was a gift from God. So how can you daily and constantly be reminded or to remember God's hand in your life? You do several things, but I'll give you one thing. My wife and I, because of our small group leader, they do this so we decided to fall in their place. We have a prayer jar. This is what it looks like. We bought a jar from TJ Maxx. We got pieces of paper from Staples. And anything, any prayers that are answered, if it's minuscule in our minds, which is not, or dramatic, it can be like, oh, God, thank you for allowing us to buy groceries this month. That was awesome. Even, you know, we do that monthly, so don't worry, we're not starving. Or it's seeing 74 of you profess faith at Revival. Whatever it is, we write it down, we put it in that jar, and at the end of the month, we dump it on the table, and we read them aloud to remind us what God is doing in our lives so that we can remember that he is there. With another way you can remember, daily remember, is to remember his promises in Scripture. I'll give you five promises. One, Hebrews 13.8. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That is a promise from God that he will not change. He is an unchanging God. So therefore, the rest of the promises are unchanging as well. So in 1 John 1, 9, we can trust if God is unchanging, 1 John 1, 9, that God is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness when we confess. So the conviction you feel of your sin, if it's you're looking up images online or looking at the opposite sex in a way that is not glorifying to God, or looking at people not glorifying to God, if you're lying, cheating, slandering, doing things for yourself. You can have that all wiped away. God promises that if you confess. That is a beautiful promise to have. Another promise you can have is 1 Corinthians 10, 13 for us Christians, that God will not allow us to be tempted beyond our means. And not only that, he provides a way of escape. So if you are sick and tired of the sin that you are committing personally or publicly, God is providing a way out. All you have to do is ask him, and he'll show you so you can take it. He's promised you, you don't have to commit that sin again. I'm giving you a way out, I promise you. Another promise is James 1.5. Some of you are wondering, okay, I'm a senior, junior, or even a freshman, you're thinking this, where do I go to college? What career do I choose? What, do I join, do, do I date this person? Do I join this relationship? Do I have these friends? Should I leave these friends? Should I play that sport? Should I join that play? Should I quit that sport? Should I leave that play? Should I go to church? Should I not go to church? James 1, James 1, 5, God says, I promise you that I will grant wisdom and abundance if you ask. 
not the answers that you want, but the wisdoms to make the right decisions according to his will. He promises you, because he's unchanging, he promised you that already. He promises that he'll give you the wisdom to help guide you. And lastly, well, not last of the promises, because there's plenty more, but Matthew 7, verses 7 through 11. Ask, and it'll be given to you. Seek, and you'll find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. He promises, if you pray, I will answer your prayers. Now, a true Christian knows that, they, that if they are of God, they will choose things of God. They will follow God's will, and they will ask the right things. They won't twist this like the prosperity gospel does and say, oh, you can have the money, the cars. You can, if you ask, God will give it to you. No, no, no. According to his will. So how do you do that? How do you daily remember God's faithfulness? One, you can read your Bibles. But the one I want to press is two, memorizing Scripture. Memorizing Scripture. Memorizing those promises. So when the time comes, the trial hits, and the temptation comes, you can remember what God has done in the past and what he promises to do in Scripture. You can remind yourself and combat the tribulations, the trials, and the temptations that you face in that current moment. That is a beautiful and wonderful thing that we have. But the most beautiful promise that we can always put our money on is the last promise that we should always memorize to our heart, which is the promise fulfilled through Christ. The biggest promise that our sin is taken away because of him. He was promised in Genesis 3. That's the book, the very beginning of this Bible. And he promises that he will come again. But in the first promise, he promised the woman, saying, hey, the, your offspring will destroy the serpent. Sin and death will be conquered by the Son on the cross. That is a beautiful promise that you should remember. So when, when shootings happen, when you stress about the election, when you stress about homework, when you stress out about your family, you can always remember the promise of Christ, saying, no matter what, if you have repented and trusted in Christ, you will be eternally with me, and you can last this life no problem. So again, don't forget don't forget these promises. If you do, your schooling, your work, your social life will rule you and consume you and distract you. What Satan wants more is to take your eyes off God. So please remember. And with remembrance comes recognition. So go back, to me, go back with me to Psalm 30 and verse 6. Because David recalls another moment in his life. And he gets a little more specific he says in verse six, uh, verse six, as for me, I said in my prosperity. So this is the moment of his strength. This is like when San Clemente beat Mission at football for the first time in 19 years, Matt Daniel. This is, we're at our strength. We're at our height. I don't know if we'll ever win again, but at least we did this once. We are at our pinnacle of our might. This is David's moment right there. But he says, I shall never be moved. What's wrong with that statement? It's the I. I shall never be moved. David's remembering a time of confidence that he didn't earn. Because in verse 7, it shows that by your favor, O Yahweh, you made my mountain stand strong. Now he's looking back saying, in that moment, I failed to recognize this, that you are in control. You are the one that gave me success. You're the one that gave me the stronghold, the mighty fortress. Because he says later, you hid your face, I was dismayed. So in that moment, God humbled David, and David is reminding of that. I can think of one particular moment. We don't, again, we don't know what the moment of prosperity, what it was, but I think of one particular moment with David is more infamous part 
when he was at the height of his pinnacle, of the height of his power, excuse me, the pinnacle of his power, when he was supposed to go out at war, instead of keeping himself focused on what God told him to do, he stayed home. And his eyes took off, were off of God, and he looked at a girl. He looked at another woman. And he asked about her. He already had wives. He asked about her. Found out her name. Found out that she was married. Found out she was married to his friend. But instead, he took his focus off God again, committed adultery, not just in his heart, but physically. Then he conspired to murder his friend, and then lied about it and tried to cover it up. His pride destroyed him. And as a result of his pride, God allowed the child of Bathsheba and David to die. So true, Norris, we have to remember that the prideful moments that we might have, if it's getting the best grade in class, winning the game, winning revival, God allowed you to do it. And you need to recall the true realities that our what we deem as success and what we deem as failure, I do use air quotes right there because successes and failures are allowed by God. And so David was humbled. And again, true north, as a warning for you. He will humble all of us if we do so. So verse 8 and 9 is what, for, or 8, 9, and 10 is what we need to do. David cries of forgiveness, as we need to cry out for forgiveness, forgiveness of our pride. And David then recognizes the purpose of his deliverance meaning that you need to also know the purpose of God even delivering you. Why should he deliver you? For one purpose, to praise him. So David sees his mistake and does what he, know, what he knows what he needs to do. So point number two to north, constantly give credit to God. Constantly give credit to God. Because like I said, right now, or even right now, not just because of school, but right now, we're in danger, all of us, are, are, of taking our eyes off God David took his eyes off God. We are in the same danger. Now, I am a prime example of how I took my eyes off God. I had a cocky moment of my life. I'm quite ashamed of talking about this. I, here's my example of how not to give credit to God. I was not like Tim Tebow. Tim Tebow always gives credit to God. Every touchdown he scored in college and the few he did in the NFL, he would take his little knee and do a little prayer. However, some of you do know I did play football. I played Division I football, the highest football you could. However, I, just, I played at the University of New Mexico. I had a low view of New Mexico. I wanted to play at schools like USC or UCLA or Oregon or Florida, but I got New Mexico, which I forgot was even a state, yet alone even had football. But they offered me a full-ride scholarship, so I took it. And here I was, the first time I ever met my teammates who were already on the team, who were seniors on the team. I even showed up for a workout yet, but we're doing an uh, athlete-only workout just to kind of build camaraderie. These are my first words to my teammate, who I would play with that early, later that year after I was very humbled. My first words were, I can't wait to play my four years so I can go to the NFL. <laughs> what? Who was I? I want to go back and punch me in the face. So, okay, newsflash, I, I'm not in the NFL, I'm standing right here. And newsflash, I never was in, in the NFL. I had my chance, but God said absolutely no. So, what I should have done in that moment, if I was constantly giving credit to God, I should have walked up saying, wow, you know what, praise God, I get to meet you, I am so honored that I get to play this game. It's just a game, but yet God has allowed me to pay my education. education. Wow, he's given me the skill set to play this game. I can't wait to have fun, play this game in his name, and just enjoy it. That's what I should have done. But instead, I had my eyes off God and eyes on myself. And so you are in the same danger of taking your eyes off God and on yourself. 
to focus on school, to focus on your sports, to focus on your relationships, to focus on how your social media is doing. We're in danger of twisting this beautiful promise in Romans 8.28. As we know that those that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. So again, this verse only applies to Christians, non-Christians to be in this room. If you want all things to work out for good, repent, run from your sin, trust God as your savior, because your definition of good is twisted. His definition, definition of good is perfect. Reject yourself and trust in God. Now, Christians, the danger that we're in is that the good things that God has given us, we then put it to ourselves like, oh, I did that. I earned that perfect grade on that quiz. I was able to score that touchdown. I was able to memorize my lines. I was able to memorize my verses perfectly. I was able to do so much. So what, are, what, here's a, what is an example that we can look through in Scripture of someone giving the credit to God? A perfect one, is a good, if a good situation that we would see as good, is David and Goliath. When David was face-to-face with Goliath, when Israel, the Israel army was in cowardice, they're hiding in fear because they, uh, Goliath, excuse me, Goliath was chanting insults at them. And here's this giant man. I mean, think about, let's say, Cleo Mack of the Chicago Bears, but like two feet taller and more muscle. He's just ginormous. He's a seven-foot-two monster just challenging you with a spear that's heavier than all of us in this room. He's challenging you. What does David do? A scrawny young man. He says to Goliath in his face in 1 Samuel 17, verses 46 to 47. This day the Lord will deliver you into my hand, and I will strike you down and cut off your head. And I'll give the dead bodies of the host of the Philistines this day to the birds of the air and to the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. And all this assembly may know that the Lord saves, not with sword and spear, not by my, the stone about the fling, not by your sword that I will cut your head off with. But for this reason, David gets credit to God. For the battle is the Lord's, and he will give you into our hand. Now that is giving God the credit. Before he even had success, David believed that God will grant him success for his own glory. Now, none of us are facing seven-foot-tall behemoths with spears right now. But what's a good thing in your life? For me, a great thing, a good thing in my life, and she's going to be very embarrassed, is my wife. God promises that if you find a wife, it's a good thing. So it's biblical. But in James 1, 7, it says every good thing comes from God. Now, I could have said, no, I was persistent in pursuing Candace. I was able to be godly, and she was attracted to me. I was the one that actually got down on my knee and proposed. No, it was God alone who provided and gave me the beautiful bride that I have. So everything that is good, truly good, lining up with Scripture good, is from God. But what about the bad things that happen in life? The hard things. What about Job? And he was a righteous man, and God allowed Satan, God allowed Satan to take everything away, to torture him, to to kill his family, to torture him, to not take his life. What good have come from that? The good is for us to understand that God is in charge. That God is truly in charge and that we do nothing for the good that we earn. So the good of salvation is nothing that we can earn, but it's a gift from God. For me, the, again, the bad of my life, I mean, one example is going to UNM. Again, I wanted to go to USC. 
They were crushing UCLA constantly as a beautiful sight. They were winning national championships, even though they got one stripped away unjustly. But that is the school I wanted to go to. I was a big fan, but instead I went to New Mexico. I didn't want to go. I went to San Clemente High School. We have the beach right there. It's 72 degrees all year round. I don't want to go to the high desert. That's awful. Why, God, are you letting me go here? What I had no idea is that God wanted to show me how sinful I truly was. God wanted to show me, again, I sat in those chairs, but in a room over there. That's where True North used to meet in the compass room. I sat under Pastor Bobby's teaching. I sat under Pastor Mike's teaching. I claimed to be a Christian, but God said, nope, I'm going to allow you to go 800 miles away from your family, away from your church, so I can show you how truly sinful you are. And he let me sin. But thankfully, he provided Amanda and Nikki, my sisters in Christ. He provided Dylan, Ben, and Garrett, my roommates and brothers in Christ. He provided me a church. He provided me brothers and sisters that didn't just let me go. They convicted me. They showed me the truth. And God's plan of not letting me go to the powerful USC and to lowly UNM was for one purpose, to see me saved. So one of my immaturity, when I see the bad things in my life, I recognize, all right, God, what good are you trying to bring out? So in this room, what are the bad things that are happening to you? What is the pain and suffering? I, I don't know enough to be able to nail down what illness you might be going through, whatever disease, your family life, your friends, the inwardness of your heart, whatever is struggling, the things that keep you awake at night, I don't know what they, they are, but you do. God's allowing that to happen. He's not ashamed to say that. He's trying to help you. There is good to come out of it, like to save you, like he did in me, or free Christians. He's allowing you so you become more like him, to learn what it is to love, what it is to have joy, what it is to have peace, what it is to have patience and kindness and self-control and things like these. Sometimes the bad things you go through are from God so that he can help you grow in those. So that is good. And what we also need to constantly give credit to, to God is for our salvation, is Christ. If we do not give full credit to Christ, we are not saved. But that's a beautiful thing. We, didn't, we don't have to go on the cross. We didn't have to be whipped. We didn't have to have our thorns on our head, the thorns on our head. We weren't you know, stripped and beaten and put on a cross for our sins that we deserved. Instead, Christ did it for us. Now we have to constantly give credit to, and the first way to do it is that you have to make God's in charge, that you don't measure up, that you have failed, that you deserve hell, but Christ lived on your behalf, died on your behalf. All you have to do is reject your old life and to surrender all of you had and have and to trust in Christ alone. And that is how you can be saved. We have to constantly give credit to God for that. Because for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing, but is the gift, a gift from God. God. So, when we remember what God has done, we want to constantly give him credit. But with that, we need to do something else. So go to Psalm 38 one more time. Verses 11 and 12. David, again, giving recognition to God. Verse 11. You, God, have turned for me. So David is saying, you turned this for me. He turned David's mourning into dancing. David's sorrow, whatever pain he is going through, is now joy. The sorrow of the conviction of his sin is now joy. 
God loosened his sackcloth and clothed me with, right, uh, with gladness, with joy. Another word that for clothed is girded, armored up. David is clothed by God with gladness. So you can, whatever sorrow you're going through, the convictions of your sin or the pain in life right now can be replaced with joy and gladness through the gospel. And you can be armored up with joy and gladness because of the gospel. And as you live this life, no matter what tribulation you enter into or endure through, no matter what trial and temptation happens, no matter what happens, the armor of joy of the gospel will protect you. Maybe not physically like we might like, but spiritually and eternally because God will never let you go. Because you can always have joy no matter what when people are stressing about the 2020 election. Who's going to be it? Will it be Trump again? Will it be Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders, Joe Biden? I can't handle this. Like, I can. Because in the end, that just doesn't matter. What really matters is, are you saved? Do you know the gospel? So David is clothed with that. And what what happens as as a result is verse 12 that his glory or my, his soul, his personhood would sing praise and not be silent. And that his praise, he will give thanks for God to God forever. So true north, what we need to do is like David did, we need to, we need to make sure we're verbal about it. We're actually letting the vibrations of our throat come out of our mouths and allowing our lips and our, and our tongue to actually enunciate words of praise to God and not be silent and always to do so. So David reminds the purpose, the true purpose of our deliverance, of our being, is that the best way to spread Christ's cheer is point number three, to sing aloud for all to hear. The greatest evangelist of Christmas of all time is this guy. This guy, look at him. The greatest evangelist of all time for Christmas. Buddy the elf, he would not relent. No matter what happened, what trial, no matter how many tunnels or raccoons he had to face, he would not relent to share about Christmas and Santa. He would share to his family who rejected him and hated him, pushed him away. He did not relent. He shared with them. He talked to strangers who looked at him funny and saying, who are you? But he did not relent in sharing about Christmas and Santa. He told everyone, including a raccoon, about Christmas and Santa. But yet, not only did he just do that, he was excited to share. He was joyful to share. And he sang loudly. He didn't care what people thought. He sang loudly. I think we can use him as an example of how we should evangelize. Maybe not dress up in tights. Please don't do that. But think about that. Actually, go back to the picture tech real quick. We can sing aloud daily. We can sing aloud to all to hear, but how we evangelize. So how he just lives or evangelizes, or how we worship, how he dresses, he screams out Christmas. So true north, how are we dressing? Men and, ga- men and gals, guys and gals, men and women, how are we dressing? Do we sing aloud that I am of Christ or do we sing that I am of myself? To how is excitement? Do we share about Christ in a timid way, in an angry way, in a way that is self-righteous to ourselves for us to win the argument? Are we just excited that you too can be saved? And do we sing with joy, not caring about what people think, but caring about what God thinks? So sing aloud, to all to hear, for, sing aloud for all to hear true north by evangelism. 1 Peter 3, verse 15. 
always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks for you the reason for the hope that is in you. Yet do it with gentleness and respect. Hope with joy, just like Buddy the Elf, how he was joyful and hopeful about Christmas. We much more need to be hopeful about Christ. An example I can give you is something I did myself. I used to work for the, a company called REI. I worked for the stores, the greatest store on this planet, because I love camping, but it's very expensive. But when I worked there, I was part of the time, well, most of the time, I was a cashier. I took people's money. But I had interacted with tons and tons of people but for a very short amount of time, sometimes it's just they're just buying a couple packs of food and before the camping trip. So maybe I have a two-minute transaction as I ask for their membership number and type it in and take their credit card and swipe it in. Or maybe they have like three or four carts of gear because they're going to Antarctica for some apparent reason. <laughs> but wherever, whoever it was, it didn't matter if it was a Mormon bishop, if it was an old guy dressed in all, all white because he thought he was Jesus himself, if it was an atheist or just a person just coming by, I made a challenge to myself. I want to joyfully share this person in the gospel and share them the hope of Christ. And I did my absolute best. Sometimes it would be two minutes and I might get there. I just ask them, hey, what are you doing this weekend? Oh, I'm going camping. What are you doing? Well, I'm actually going to church. You, you want to hear what I learned last week? No, no, what can you do? None of you, I don't think any of you are working at REM, but what can you do with high schoolers? What about when you go to Starbucks? or to places of good coffee that actually make good coffee, not Starbucks. When you ask the barista for your order, do you ask them, hey, how are you doing? Because they'll most likely politely ask, how are you doing? And there's your open door to the gospel. I'm doing quite well. I am so joyful in God and what he's given to me and the forgiveness he offers. Do you know Jesus? What about the teacher in class that you're about to go to or the classmate that's sitting next to you? What about when someone comments on your Instagram? Whatever it is, you have an opportunity to be like Buddy the Elf and share with anyone. You don't have to wait for Saturday night to go out and share the joy. You can do that today when you go to lunch to the waiter or waitress that you encounter. You can do it today and all times, constantly singing aloud. But we also sing aloud for all to hear through our worship. In Acts 16, Paul and Silas were imprisoned for sharing the gospel. And about midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And not only that, the jailer who was beating them, Paul and Silas, after the earthquake and after Paul and Silas pleaded with them, that jailer heard them singing and asked them about the joy that they had. And guess what they did? They shared the gospel and he got saved. And his whole family heard the gospel and they got saved. You don't know who's listening. One of my favorite stories is a guy named Nabil Qureshi and David Wood. They were once evangelizing and actually were thrown in prison for doing it. And the first thing they did, what did they do? They actually sang songs. They sang songs until they, sang songs and hymns, not just song songs, but they sang songs and hymns of God until they ran out of songs. They couldn't think of any more. And then we were led out the next morning and they thought that was it. What they found out years later is that someone in that jail, in that another cell was listening. And the other person finally found them years later saying, hey, I was listening and I want to know about the joy that you have and why you were not mad when you were imprisoned for what you believed. Now, I'm not giving you, and Pastor Rod and I are not giving you the free card to now go to detention or get arrested, so please don't do that. We don't want to hear that from your parents. This is not a free, free pass to do so, but what are you singing aloud for all to hear? What are you posting on your Instagram and Snapchat and TikTok? What are you posting? 
Why are you posting it? Is it for you to look good or is it for to see others saved? Or is it to puff up yourself and what you post? What are you listening to when you get in the car? I'm thinking this is not knocking secular music, but are you listening to worship? Are you actually worshiping God? Are you listening to podcasts and sermons that build up and edify you to help you learn more about God? You don't know who's listening. You might not know who, if the window's down, the person next to you might be listening. You might hear about it. Or when you give your friend a ride in the car and your car turns on and automatically goes to your Bluetooth and connects to your phone and automatically starts playing, what song pops up? Is it something embarrassing? They're like, oh, no, 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 I don't want that to be on. Or is it something of song and praise and worship or a podcast? And you go, hey, what are you listening to? That's how you can also sing aloud and share the gospel right there. So when next time when school starts, you're studying here on Monday nights, shameless plug for tutoring ministry, or if you're in a coffee shop, Starbucks or something much better, or you're driving, you're working out, you're getting ready for a game, you're getting ready for a practice, you're relaxing at the beach because summer's almost over, what are you listening to for people to hear? How are you singing aloud for all to hear? And lastly, well not lastly, but this is the last example I have, but how you live. You can sing aloud for all to hear of how you live. How you serve, Galatians 6, 9, 9 through 10. You take, you take every opportunity to do good to everyone. To do good to everyone because you're in Christ. To sing aloud. Why do you act so differently? Well, let me tell you why I serve. Why I served first. Again, there's another opportunity. Awana, a place to serve. Are you serving in this church? Are you serving here in True North? Are you serving the narrow? Are you serving the edge? Are you serving Awana? When people ask you, hey, what are you doing on Thursday night? Hey, you want to come hang out? No, actually, no, I'm serving at my church, and I'm glad to do so because God saved me. How else can I respond? They go, what? Here's your opportunity to share the gospel once again. You can also sing a lot of how you work, Philippians 2, 14 through 15. So do all things without complaining so that you can shine bright in this crooked generation. So whether it's homework whatever it's chores, whatever is actual work, some of you do work, or whatever, if it's practice for a game or a play or a band or a song, whatever it is, do so without grumbling and you will shine bright in this crooked generation. So the next time the coach decided, nope, we're doing conditioning, you don't do it with grumbling. Next time the teacher assigns pop quiz or extra homework, you do so without grumbling. When your parents say, do this, chore, pick up the trash, pick up the cat poop, Pick up the dog poop. Do so without grumbling. Because you, God's glory is at stake and an opportunity to share the gospel. When, when your classmate sees you not grumble and complain, but actually have joy about doing homework, they'll ask you why. And again, there's another door to the gospel. So are you going to take every opportunity to do so? And the last way you can sing aloud is to submit and how you submit. 1 Peter 2, verses 11 through 17 Submitting to the authorities so that God gets the, glory, gets the glory. So how you submit to your parents, to your teachers, to your leaders, to your dire- high school director, to your high school pastor, the pastors of this church, to h- how you submit to your boss and to your coach. When the coach corrects you, maybe in not the nicest way. I know coaches. I used to work at FCA. There are, some of them are amazing and nice. Some of them are not very nice. But how do you respond when they correct you, when they bark at you and call you out? Do you fight back? Do you shrug and disregard what he has to say or he, he or she has to say? When your parents tell you to do something, do you shrug, roll your eyes, talk back? 
How are you submitting? That's another way you can share the gospel to your sibling, to a friend, to a stranger. How you submit will sing aloud for all to hear. Again, we do all these things. We sing aloud for all to hear for one purpose, to see people saved through Christ. That is our why. We don't do it for ourselves to look good, to puff ourselves up and say, I am very righteous and I'm a very good person. We do this so that people can see Christ in us and be saved. So how does God, how, what do we do when God answers our prayers? We praise God. In order to see God answer your prayers, you actually have to pray. Prayer mate, prayer box, and Pastor Rod talked about. Make time. Starting today, why wait? Take time to pray, to spend time, more than just five minutes, 15, 30, an hour, and talk to God. Let us train you. Saturday at 3 p.m. to 4.15, we have the prayer gathering. I want all of you here. I want 100 true northers or more to be here and praying to God for revival in this area and all over the world. But we have to pray. So let us help you. So true north, start every day. You know that the very first thing is for you to do is remember what God has given to you in your life and the promises and thank him for it. And then constantly throughout the day, every day, thank God for everything that you have been given. What you perceive as good and what you perceive as bad. And then joyfully share, like Buddy the Elf, joyfully share with everyone that you encounter what God has done for you and what you, what he, excuse me, what he can do for them. We must be resolved. So true with daily resolve to keep your focus on God and the true purpose of your deliverance. Now I'm going to bring up the worship team. We're going to, I'm going to pray and pray up the worship team. We're going to have four songs. And here is an opportunity for you to start thanking God, praising God, focusing on God, singing to God, worshiping God, singing aloud for all to hear. So I beg and plead, focus on God. Think about the things he saved you in your life, the things he's given to you in your life. And when those words pop up on the screen, mean them, sing them. And again, Sing like no one is in this room. It's okay to raise your hands. It's okay to close your eyes. But sing like no one is in this room. And sing to God alone. Don't care about the peers next to you. So please, sing aloud for all to hear. Let me pray.